Soylent Scrooge, or Christmas is Made of People, is sponsored by the Revival League, bringing old-time radio back to life, and the Dino Hotel, the pride of Lakewood, Colorado. This play is rated NSFW, not safe for work, at least not without earbuds. It contains violence, grown-up language, and situations, and may not be suitable for small children. You are listening to a holiday special presentation from the Independence Broadcasting System. Merry Christmas from all of us at IBS. The Independence Broadcasting System presents, in conjunction with the Dino Hotel, a Revival League podcast production of Soylent Scrooge, or Christmas is Made of People. The height of the Industrial Revolution. Chapter One. Marley was dead to begin with. There was no doubt whatever about that. His gruesome demise was signed by the foreman, the clerk, and the chief superintendent after Scrooge's longtime business partner fell off with a startled Yop! off the gantry into the meat presses of the dismal charnel house known as Soylent Scrooge, which loomed like the rotting carcass of a whale on Enderby's wharf along the south bank of the Thames. Yes, old Marley was as dead as a doornail, but London and the home counties needed to eat. The demand for holiday slurry was high. Scrooge would not be bested by Mrs. Lovett's meat pie factory in Fleet Street, and the day's production schedules were already as mangled as Marley. Now that the vicar's read the last rites, Governor, I'll fetch the hose and wash Mr. Marley off the machinery. Bah! Back to work! But, sir... But nothing! Get these contraptions running again! Begging your pardon, Governor, but I'd have thought you'd feel Mr. Marley's death more keenly. Morning is a waste of nervous energy. I shall grant Marley this, however. To the end, he was an excellent man of business. His mangling and pulping has saved us the expense of a funeral. Now back to work, or you, sir, shall be the next betwixt the gears. Right you are, sir. Well, Mr. Marley, down the drain you go. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Down the pipes you go to nothing but rust. These are the worst English accents I've ever heard. Are you a bunch of rejects from a Wren fair? No one mourned Marley. The factory stacks of Enderby's Wharf belched their black soot, not in elegy, but like the wicked papists of Rome, to signify an unsuccessful ballot in the election of Marley's soul. It was found wanting. 
And incidentally, it was Christmas Eve, for one would not know it from the pallid tomb-like gloom that settled like a shroud over the already dreary environs of Soylent Scrooge. The man himself tramped up the narrow iron stairs from his factory floor to his office, high in a corner of the factory. In the antechamber sat his clerk, Bob Cratchit. Hell's bells, it's hot in here. Scrooge did not feel the heat. He was indifferent as a salamander in that regard. I'm dressed in Victorian clothes. My shirt is inch-thick wool. My underwear is carved out of pine wood. Of course I'm hot. He was as indifferent as a salamander in that regard. Are salamanders known for their indifference? But Cratchit, still annoyingly new in his position, possessed a delicate constitution and wanted watching. He would abandon his post for a cup of water from the bucket, a book convention, and button his collar given the chance. His face was strained and beat-like in the jungle air. Cratchit, mind your numbers. The sweat running from your foolish head has fallen from the tip of your nose onto your ledger. Sorry, sir. It won't happen again. Quickly now. What did the numbers say? Was that a plus two or a plus five? I think it was a plus three. You great sweating sow. That was black ink, not red. A profit line. Now redo the page, copy it out fair, and check your calculations thrice. Damn and blast. Who can that be? It was Scrooge's nephew, Fred. It is my nephew, Fred. Told you. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Bah, humbug. Christmas a humbug? Uncle, you don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas indeed. What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Indeed I am, for I have but five servants. I'm sitting right here. Your uncle literally pays me starvation wages. But even the poor are rich in spirit at Christmas time, uncle. My son is dying. For Christmas time swells even the saddest heart with joy. Sometimes at night, I, I start weeping and I can't stop till morning. But come, uncle, don't be cross. What else can I be when I live in a world of fools such as this out on Christmas? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. How many times must we have this conversation, Uncle? Christians are not vampires. There's no cause to dash about staking them through the heart. Nephew, you keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. At that moment, the foreman appeared with an unlabeled tin in his hand. Pardon me, Governor. What do you want me to do with this? What is it? Why, it's Mr Marley, sir. Went all the way through the production line and got sealed in this tin, he did. I didn't feel right about crating him up to be shipped with the rest of the stock. Give him here, I shall see to him. Righto, Governor. We don't actually say that. Scrooge took the tin of his late partner, set it on his desk, and turned back to his nephew and glowered at him with hooded, spiteful eyes. And is this interview drawing toward its end, Fred? Why are you so blasted cheerful? Because it is Christmas, Uncle! Oh, and my physician prescribed a healthy dose of medicinal cocaine for my croup. But mostly, Christmas is a good time, a kind, charitable, pleasant time. And therefore, God bless it. I say, is, is my nose bleeding? You're a powerful speaker, nephew. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. 
Don't be angry, Uncle. Dine with us tomorrow. We are having a delicious roasted bantam rooster. A roast bantam? I'll not darken your door for such frivolity. A cock block on Christmas? Come, Uncle, please say you'll eat with us. I would rather sell my genitals to the Hohenzollern Cimmeringians for pin money. I have no idea what that means. It was a country until 1850 annexed by the Prussians. Look it up! But I am sorry, with all my heart, to find you so resolute. We have never had a quarrel, to my knowledge, to which I have been a party, other than the Christian's vampires thing. I tell you, they are. But I have made the attempt, and though you've balked, I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. Merry Christmas, sir. Vampires, I tell you, vampires. There was yet another knock on Scrooge's door, and in stepped two portly gentlemen pleasant to behold. They now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. Now what? Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven minutes. He died seven minutes ago this very night. All right, then. I have no doubt his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. Are you actually dunning me for money after learning my partner fell into our machinery not ten minutes ago? Well, sir, at this festive season of the year, it is more than usually desirous that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries, sir. Are there no prisons? Oh, plenty of prisons, sir. And the Union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are, sir. I wish I could say that they were not. The poor law is still in full vigor, then? Oh, very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid, from what you said at first, that something had occurred to stop it in its useful course. I am glad to hear it is not so. Well, the poor law scarcely furnishes Christian cheer of mind or body, sir. Christian? Gentlemen, watch what you say! Of course, sir. As a good Christian, I- Vampire! (laughs) Mother of mercy! He's impaled my partner! Run, you horse and dog! I wish to be left alone, do you hear? I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I cannot afford to make the poor merry. But I can always afford stakes for the likes of you, so run, you car! In the name of Cro- Craig. In the name of Craig. Have you finished rechecking your sums, Cratchit? Um, almost, sir. Well, be quick about it, but be accurate. Your lummoxy smudges will upset the delicate balance of business. Our Christmas lines of slurry turn huge profits. Mulligatawny slurry, figgy rum slurry, shepherds and neeps slurry, suet, cinnamon and raisin slurry. Product, profit, success. Yes, sir. But poor ciphering on your part can bring the entire edifice crashing to the ground. We'll buy too few neeps or too much suet based on the laxity of your arithmetic. Then our product slips, the housewife is angry, the greengrocer apoplectic, and Inspector Bucket rapping at our door to enforce the adulterated food laws. Calamity. Chaos. Failure. And I don't get paid because of the avalanche of bad numbers that started as sweat rolling from the tip of your nose. Pardon me, sir, but I've always wondered... What? What? What exactly is Scrooge and Marley's soil and slurry made of? Ingredients. 
Now fix the books. At length, the whistle blew and the hour of shutting up the office arrived. The wine of industry shuddered and silenced below, and the steam from the factory floor turned imperceptibly to clammy cold, and the portly gentleman smiled at them both in Christian charity as his dead mouth stiffened into rictus. Scrooge watched Cratchit until the numbers were restored to their former state of harmony, and Fyshe checked to his satisfaction. I believe that's got it, sir. With an ill will, Scrooge dismounted from his stool and tacitly nodded to the expectant clerk, who instantly stepped shut the ledger and put on his hat. Very well, you may go. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. Well, if it's quite convenient, sir. <laughs> it's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to dock you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. Well, I... And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work? A half a crown is what you pay me a week, sir. Don't interrupt. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning. Oh, I will, sir. Thank you, sir. And Mary, um, uh, goodbye. Men are cogs, Mr. Cratchit. Cogs can be replaced. And send the night watchmen up to get rid of yet another vampire. Bah. And now what to do with this tin of Marley? Hmm. Well, waste not, want not. Tastes like savings. What will that accursed Scrooge do next? Stay tuned to find out after these brief commercial interruptions. You're listening to the real voice of Christmas, IBS. Hey, are, are you looking for those bicycles that have big wheels on the front? Perfect. Come on down to Penny Farthing's Emporium of Bicycles with the Big Wheel on the Front shop. We have a wide variety of bicycles in stock, and they all have wheels, all shapes and all sizes of wheels, from massive to enormous to merely huge and everything in between. So c come on down to Penny Farthing's Emporium of Bicycles with the big wheel in the front shop and b buy one of them today. What's that, Gov? You're paying full price for your orphan rental? Well, come down to Fagin's Half Price Orphans. We've got the city's best selection of scratch and dent orphans. We got tall ones, fat ones, skinny ones, uh, some that are, you know, maybe not in the best of health, but, uh, you know, that's not your concern anyway. You just put them in a coal mine. For the next fortnight, you buy two orphans, you get one free. Try faking scratch and dent orphans, where our orphans never ask for more. Is your wife sharing stirrings of independent thought? Has she grown combative or overtly lively? She may be suffering from female hysteria. But fear not. This common complaint is easily addressed through modern science. But why pay an exorbitant fee for an expensive steam-powered remedy? Hello, I'm Phineas T. Prunepongle, and I can relieve your wife's complaint manually for half the price of the competition. 
I shall gladly come to your residence at any time of day or night to effect this cure. I am a real doctor, and I am well practiced in the art of female hysteric digitary manipulation. And I love my work. <laughs> Remember, I'm Phineas T. Prunepongo, and with my magic finger, her complaint shan't linger. <laughs> and now we return you to our previously scheduled program. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner at his desk and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, headed home for bed. It was snowing, a soft snow that matched the solitary magic of the night, but the old man was too blind to see it. Please, sir, may I have some slurry? Scrooge turned to see the snowy cobblestones adorned with an adorable street urchin holding a spoon and wooden bowl. And what may your name be, child? Oliver Twist! Well, young Oliver, I shall give you not just a meal, but a purpose. Do you know where Madame Pesto's house for the indigent and tasty is in Cheapside? Indeed I do, sir! Hurry along there. Tug at the sleeves of the one-eyed beetle and toothless Russian who mind the door, and tell them that old Ebenezer Scrooge sent you. Oh, thank you, sir! Most charitable of you, sir! Yes, render unto others and all, and have others rendered too. I find that I profit most through good deeds. Now run along and quickly. Thank you, sir, and God bless you! The street urchin disappeared, whistling a merry tune. No one knows what happened since, but I like to think he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and lived a long and prosperous life. The child will die, assuredly. Yes, a long and prosperous life, with many a child of his own, to share a dish of warm Christmas slurry. Scrooge lived in chambers, which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms, old and dreary, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. The night had turned bitter, the fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that Scrooge shivered and pawed at the door. Humph. Where did I put the keys? Blasted winter coats, with their too many pockets to fumble through. Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without its undergoing of any intermediate process of change, not a knocker, but a can of soil at slurry, the label bearing an image of Marley's bloody face. Ah! Marley's face! There was no product line that bore his partner's visage, for even on Mangled, Marley had a face not meant for advertising. His visage had an unsettling light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. From the can label, Marley looked at Scrooge with ghostly spectacles turned up on his ghostly forehead. 
Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon. It was a door knocker again. Just a knocker. Must have been a prankster. Oh, my dinner has upset my constitution. Not nearly as bad as you upset Marley. I... I am not myself. Off to bed. He made his way cautiously up the rickety stairs to his bedchamber, eager to embrace his nighttime routine as a refuge from his unease. Scrooge settled under the batting with his only indulgence, a dogged copy of Swift's A Modest Proposal. Too cheap even to wet his thumb with spit to turn the pages, Scrooge scanned the book with a dull registry of non-comprehension. He was listening with the pricking feeling on the back of his neck that he was not alone. The air felt impregnated with lightning. It's as if that boorish American Mr. Edison were electrocuting elephants again. Ineluctably, Scrooge felt a sense of inexplicable dread. That as he looked warily around, clutching his covers tight, he heard the clock strike twelve. What's that horrible noise? A clanking noise, deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. I remember to have heard that ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. Could it be? Up the stairs, up and up, the clanking and dragging, until in his bedroom door burst the ghostly apparition of Jacob Marley. Oh no! What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? You are particular for a shade. In life, I was your co-captain of industry, Jacob Marley. Yes, we already established that. Shush, shush. Quiet, you. Can you... can you sit down? I can. Do it then. Remarkable. What a dream this is. You don't believe in me. I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing can affect them. You may be a bit of undigested beef, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, sir. That's bold talk for a man who ate me earlier this evening. Yes, about that. Behold! Your ghostly tatters, they're crimson with blood! Horrid of blood! Horrid, the bloody kind of bloody blood that muddles the delicate sensibilities of an Englishman. Scrooge sprang from his bed and fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face. Mercy! Damned apparition, why do you trouble me? I should not be damned, for I was a visionary. How do you mean? When I had my idea and the gaslight popped on over my head, that was a grand day. Did I not first marry the base dietary needs of the hot and tot and the laws of supply and demand? 
Mr. Malthus's population theories and Mr. Durand's newfangled canning methods united together on our factory assembly line. My God, we made a killing. Yes, many of them. Great Britain is hungry. The Empire's million-fold mouths cry out for sustenance, and yet the fruits of the Empire bring blights upon our very shores. England is awash with immigrants, criminals and the poor, unable to provide, soaking up our resources, benighting the land. Well said, old chum. Please, I now take chum rather personally. Sorry. But, Marley, why the chains? Do they punish you sorely in the afterlife? In life I enjoyed certain esoteric tastes. In death, a demoness in a leather pinafore indulges me. Tell me, have you read Venus in Furs? Can't say that I have. Why do you plague me? What purpose brings you here? I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. Thank you. Though you left me to be rinsed down the drain, I still possess enough caution in my bosom to offer you this portent. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I... I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. There is no safe word for you, Ebenezer. Expect the first ghost tomorrow, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the day after tomorrow, when the clock strikes two. The third on the third night, when the last stroke of three has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look that for your sake, you remember what has passed between us. The apparition walked backward from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little, so that when the spectre reached it, it was wide open. Approach me, Scrooge. I shall. And also wash those factory rollers. What the devil? He's gone! Marley wafted into the night and melted into mist. The smell of suet, cinnamon and raisin hung in the air, mixed with the acrid scent of raw meat. Scrooge closed the window. He tried to say, humbug. Ha! Ha! Holy! But he choked at the first syllable and fainted on the floor. Marley may have been spectral, but his earthly remains had the last laugh with a vicious round of food poisoning. And so ends the first chapter. I say that evil sprite Marley is certainly a caution. Which haint will be devil poor Scrooge next? Stay tuned to find out after these brief commercial interruptions. You're listening to The Real Voice of Christmas, IBS. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Come to the London Zoo and feast your eyes on the Hippopotamus Obeisk. Thrill as this grey water cow eats. 
a maze while it walks around. You won't believe your eyes as it floats in water. Bring the whole family and be prepared to blow your mind. Adults are just one pound, and kids under the age of eight are just one halfpenny. This Sunday at the London Zoo, be there. Damn it, Catherine! It's darker than a well digger's ass in here! Where are the bleeding candles? I just bought candles at the market this morning, dear. You haven't bought candles in a bloody fortnight, you batty shite! Has this happened to you? Of course it did. It happened to you just last Tuesday, don't you remember? Sarah's son Paul stopped by to pick up that sweaty he lent him, and he asked if you were with child. But of course you are, you're carrying twins. And what are you gonna do, live in a pitch-dark house with two mewling infants and no blooming candles? Gaslighting lamplighters. You won't believe it, but you should, because I was there. A one-night seven-seven bogies for kids. A one-night seven-seven bogies for kids. A one-night seven-seven bogies for kids. Donate your bogey today. Harry Kilpatrick here. Are you tired of urchins running around in the streets? Well, put those dirty little urchins to work fixing up your old broken down buggy, carriage or chariot by donating it to me at 1877 Whitehall Street, London. And if you're ready to replace that buggy, stop next door at Kilpatrick's fine used buggy emporium. So remember, a one night seven seven buggies for kids. A one night seven seven buggies for kids. One night seven seven buggies for kids. Donate your buggy today. We now return you to our previously scheduled program. Scrooge woke, stiff and cold on the floorboards, with a crapulous, fudding headache. What the dickens? Fourth wall! Fourth wall! Sorry. What the devil is crapulous? Marked by excess in eating or drinking. Ah. Ugh. My head. It's like a great swollen melon ready to burst. It was so dark, Scrooge could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the walls of his chamber. He endeavoured to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes, when the chimes of a neighbouring church struck the four quarters. What's this? The bells! They're chiming from six to seven, and from seven to eight. Is my arithmetic off? The clock is wrong. Twelve chimes? An icicle must have gotten into the works. Where is my pocket watch? I'll be damned. Midnight it is. Twelve! Why, isn't it possible that I have slept through a whole day and far into another night? Scrooge groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the dust off of the sleeve of his dressing gown before he could see anything, and could see very little then. Nary a soul to mar the view. So foggy. And bitter cold. It's milkier out than the cataracts in old Marley's eyes. No noise of people running to and fro. You could hear a pin drop. Even so, 
I detect footsteps. Could it be? The next ghostly apparition? The next phantom set to haunt me? I confess I feel a rising dread. And yet, Marley said one in the morning, a full hour from now. You there! You're early for a spirit! Can't you tell the time? Have you no sense of supernatural punctuality? I'm not sure what you mean, sir. I'm no ghost. Who are you then? Inspector Bucket, sir, of the Home Office for the Prevention of Adulteration of Food and Drugs. I know who you are. A filthy food inspector. Why are you bedeviling me this time of night? On a holiday, no less. I have a few questions, sir, about the deceasement of your former business partner, Jacob Marley. May I come in? Mm, make it quick. I'm expecting company in an hour. At this time of night, sir? It's a bit late, isn't it? Who's dropping by? Uh, a priest. Yes, that's it. Of course, I, I wish to pray and reflect on the fragility of human existence. I see. And this priest, what's her name? Is she good-looking and attractive, not of common appearance? How dare you! I'll have you know the Reverend Stiggins is a dear friend of mine. We shall pray for your soul hard. At 1 a.m., I'm sure you will. I wasn't aware the Reverend Gentleman Stiggins had made the conversion from Anglican to Catholic. Still, the name of your whore priest is of no concern to me. Pleasures of the flesh and all. Now, let me into the parlor, and let's discuss the curious case of Mr. Marley. Fine, yes. Do come in. It would be a bleak house, indeed, that could not accommodate you on such a frosty night. Indeed. I had great expectations of your hospitality. Hard times, if I could not spare a moment for official business. It's what Christmas is, as we grow older. I saw in Her Majesty's Land Registry that the title of this residence belongs to Mr. Marley. Yes, true. It's a house to let to. I see. London can be soft to those who can afford it, and London can be hard on those who cannot. It's a tale of two cities. Edwin Drood, the Pickwick Papers, Martin Chuzzlewit. I'm sorry, what? My bad. I thought we were running with the titles. Stick to the narration. Fine. Presently, Scrooge made his way down to his drafty parlour, more cobwebs and dust than hospitality, and let the inspector in. What a night. I'm half frozen. Fog everywhere. Fog up the river, fog down the river. Rolling defiled among the tears of shipping and the waterside pollutions of this great and dirty city. That's London for you. I saw from the chief of police that Marley was, quote, uh, ground to a fine pulp in the automated machinery of silent Scrooge. Is this so? All true. The universe makes for rather an indifferent parent, I'm afraid. Your remorse for your former partner is certainly touching, sir. Now... I know the factory is shut down for the holiday. An unnecessary waste of production. Holiday break, my Auntie Betsy. But I really need to inspect the assembly line as soon as it's conveniently possible. Why? For possible contamination. The corporeal remains of Mr. Marley were properly rinsed down the drain. May he rest in pieces. Certainly. Uh, and what type of meat do you use at Soylent Scrooge? Mutton. And some horse. Interesting. And, uh, nothing else. All right, you have me. And just a smidgen of rat. It really brings out the flavor. It's the most peculiar thing, Mr. Scrooge. I followed standard procedure. When I went to request the list of procurement for Soylent Scrooge, it was sealed and proclaimed a matter of national importance, answerable to higher officials unknown. 
as were all the lists of your ingredients. Further inquiry proved there were 17 other factories in the Greater London area, all under similar veils of secrecy. That is something I cannot discuss, Inspector. It's on a need-to-know basis. Now, if you'll excuse me, the hour is late. Yes, I'll leave you to your whore priest. Again! A real clergyman! I'm going to pray it up and get all religious and vampire over Marley. I'm sure you will. Thank you for indulging my curiosity, sir. We'll save that inspection for day after tomorrow, shall we? Farewell. And don't hurry back. I'm sure I'll have no cause to. Oh, and Merry Christmas! Nosy Parker. What a detestable prying cockroach of a man. I'll deal with him later. In the meantime, I suppose we have to ghost it up around here. What dastardly tricks does old Ebenezer have up his sleeve to thwart the inspector? And we're still waiting on the next ghost. Stay tuned to find out after these brief commercial interruptions. You're listening to the real voice of Christmas, IBS. Hello, gentle listener. I'm Sir Baxter Butterworth, and I'm here to tell you about the new Butterworth diet plan. That's right. Eat nearly anything you want. Don't read labels, just get it down your gullet. The more you can keep down, the more weight you'll gain. No doctors have verified these claims. It's the 19th century, you can't afford to go to a doctor. So take my word for it and you'll have the Rubenesque figure you've wanted your entire life. For more information, send two pounds of clotted cream to Sir Baxter Butterworth, 1016 West London, 1016 West London. Are you a member of the British lower class? Mightn't you be a cut purse, a poxy whore, or a political dissident? Then try Billabong Bruce's one-way cruises to Botany Bay. You'll love the tropical climate, fascinating and highly toxic wildlife, and healthful forced labour. So waltz your Matildas up our gangplank and set sail for the adventure of the rest of your life. Billabong Bruce's one-way cruises, your ticket to nowhere. You can trust me, I'm from down under. Dugan's has been the most trusted name and supportive undergarments in London for over 80 years. Dugan's guarantees a corset so tight and restrictive, it will crush your plump, undesirable girth into a pleasing shape that will have you seeing spots and looking your best. The secret to Dugan's success is in the quality craftsmanship, because Dugan's uses only genuine whalebone in its boning. You may have had some bad experiences in the past with soft bonings you could barely feel from the other guy's corsets, but Dugan's promises to deliver a stiff boning you'll be feeling all day long. That's why our motto is, your ribs will crack or your money back. So remember, for a boning so hard your grandmother will feel it, your corsets have got to be Dugan's. We now return you to our previously scheduled program. Scrooge went to bed again and lay in this state until the chime had gone three quarters more when he remembered that Molly had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one.
Ha-ha! The hour itself and nothing else. Ah! What the devil? Suddenly, the curtains of his bed were drawn aside, I tell you, by a blackened spectral hand. Good God, you must be the witch of the place! Can't be, son. Is that you, my love? Tonight is a good night, for we are to be married. There stood a thin woman in a smouldering wedding dress and just one shoe. She was a cross between a waxwork and a skeleton with piercing eyes. <coughs> it's rude for a woman to smoke in public. Are you the spirit, madam, <coughs> whose coming was foretold to me? I am, my beloved. What is your name? Oh, it's you, my appointment. I thought we were to be wed this very eve, but you're that dreadful Ebenezer that Marley keeps droning on about. What a bore. You may call me Miss Havisham or the ghost of Christmas past. Long past. Cinderella, I'd say you're not a day over three hundred. Not me. You. Your past, you ninny hammer. No need to get all fired up about it. Eek! A fire! Where? Put it out! Put it out! Easy, old gal! You're a bit balmy on the crumpet! There is no fire! Sorry. My apologies. It's so hard to find non-flammable wedding apparel these days. So... What business brings you here, Miss Smoked Ham? Your welfare. A night of unbroken rest might help me more in that regard. Your reclamation, then? Rise and walk with me. We're going out the window. Oh, no. Absolutely not, Mary Poppins. I enjoy the taste of cobblestones and broken teeth as much as the next fellow. But one word. Gravity. I'm mortal. Still works on me. Crash. Plunge. Die. You silly little man, bear but a touch of your hand upon my bosom, and you shall be upheld in more than this. I'd rather fall. Yes, feel my heaving breast, and we shall fly, we shall fly, we shall fly. Second nipple to the right and straight on till morning. I'd rather go on to hell, thanks. What in blazes? We really are flying, and me in my nightgown. You're not wearing any underwear! Take a daguerreotype, you pervert! It'll last longer! Please keep your hands and arms inside the wedding dress at all times. London flashed by in a wink and they stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city had vanished, not a vestige of it to be seen. The darkness and the mist gave way to a clear, cold winter day with snow upon the ground.
I know this place, Mrs. Honeyham. I was bred in this place. A small town. A market town. I was a boy here. Shaggy ponies trotting, boys upon their backs. Everyone in great spirits. The fields full of winter games and music. The air crisp and clean. A childhood Christmas. I remember it. Your lip is trembling, and what is that upon your cheek? Nothing. A pimple. Let's get on with it. Won't these simple folk wonder at us? We're dressed like a couple of circus freaks. These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. That solitary boy in the schoolyard, neglected by his friends. No. Could it be? Heaven's men are stupid creatures. It's you as a small fry. A stupid little boy. Not exactly Mr. Popularity, are you? Alone. And scorned. Was I so unlovable even then? Bingo! Blackjack! You sunk my ironclad! We have a winner! Terrible feeling to be alone and forsaken at such a tender age. Oh, I wouldn't know anything about that, would I? You try spending decades in a scratchy wedding dress, lace, and crinoline chafe something awful. I'm all rashy just thinking about it. This dump is boring. Let's go see another Christmas. But I... Hand on bosom, now. This hallway. Now we are inside my childhood school. A cold and lonely place. And there's Headmaster Wormjackal. Wrong. Do it again. Yes, Headmaster. Ow. Shameful old cuss. Used to beat us bloody. You! Yes, you behind the pony sheds. Stand still, laddie. I'm sorry, Headmaster. And there I am. A boy still. Quaking in my boots that I'd feel the back of Worm Jackal's hand. If you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? But I have eaten my meat, Headmaster. Why bring me here to this cheerless Christmas? What? This is a happier moment than you remember. Young Master Scrooge, your time has come. Yes, yes, sir. I suppose you'll be thrashing me to death now. Your time has come to visit your family. My family? They're here? Aye, pull up your pants, boy. No belt today. Your kin waits in the foyer. I shall fetch them. There she is, my beloved sister. I have come to bring you home, dear brother. Home, little fan? Home forever and ever. Father sent me in a coach to bring you, and you're to be a man, never to come back to this grim place ever again. Woohoo! Bring down Master Scrooge's books there. He's moving out. Yes, Headmaster. But first, we're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time in the world. Look at her. Always a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered, but she had a large heart. A tender soul. I miss her still. 
She died a woman and had, I think, children. One child. Your nephew. I, Fred. Fan and I were so close when we were young. And yet, in adulthood, you allowed yourselves to drift apart. Money and your business ventures became more important. And what of it? Fan lived a happy life, blessed with all the conveniences afforded women in our modern age. My parents married me off at 14. A liberal time of enlightenment and understanding. When I hit puberty, I'll break three ribs cinching on a corset, just to be pleasing to the male eye. An era of progress, where the weaker sex is treated with tenderness. I'll have few legal rights and cannot vote. I'm basically chattel to my husband. A time of material comfort, where women focus their attentions where it belongs, on being good mothers to their children. I have a terrible premonition that my future son will be a cocaine addict. Yes, indeed. This is the pinnacle of female enfranchisement. You're quite the liberated man, Scroogey. Face it, you squandered your time with your sister. Took her for granted until it was too late. I suppose but I will cherish this next moment always. What's that? Shh. Wait for it. Scrooge, before you leave and head out into the world, let me shake your hand farewell. Really, sir? But I am but a boy. You're a man now. Hopefully we've knocked some sense into you along the way. Yes, sir. Your brutal beatings were most educational. In the spirit of Christian goodwill, Christian? I wish you a Merry Christmas. He's a vampire! Kill him! Here now, let go of me! Don't let the filthy bloodsucker get away! Oh my good help, madam! Brother, take this holly and stake him through the heart! Yes, sister! Die, vampire scum! Good job, brother! Yes, sister. I love you so. I love you too. Now let's drag the bastard to the kitchens and boil him in his own holiday pudding. Jolly good! And get his wallet! <laughs> I learned so much that day. Fun fact. Turns out Headmaster Wormjackal really was a vampire. Although he was not a practicing Christian at all but a Hindu. Don't care. Moving on. Next Christmas memory, please. Hand. Boob. Now. You'd think I'd eventually start to enjoy this, or at least find it less disturbing. How delightful. Young Scrooge carted away by his beloved sister fan. And will mean Miss Havisham in her smoking gown ever get her man? What the deuce happens next? Stay tuned to find out after these brief commercial interruptions. You're listening to the real voice of Christmas, IBS. Owning a chimney shouldn't be a chore, should it? But all their cleaning and scrubbing and soot makes it nigh impossible. There's got to be a better way. And now there is. Introducing McClanahan's Chimney Kids. You purchase your very own chimney sweep to live right in your chimney. In the morning, open the flue and your personal sweep will just tumble right out and get straight to work. They will clean your chimney, sweep ashes, start a fire all with a smile. And when the fire is out and the chimney is cool, just tuck your sweep back into the chimney and close the flue. Our chimney kids come from the best orphanariums, so you know they will work hard to keep the new homes. 
Warning, the clan hatch chimney kids are actual kids, so make sure that they are fed and watered. If you are free from doing so, you'll be prosecuted under the fourth extent of the king's law. Please tip your chimney kid and let them out once in a while. They are people for God's sake. Remember, that's McClanahan's chimney kids. They'll actually live in your chimney. Good evening, my friends. Hold on to your top hats. Phineas T. Prunepongle here again, with the latest discovery for Health the Living. Madame Curie's fabulous glowing rock is a torch to light the way to happiness, health, and vigor. How, you may ask? Why, Phineas T. Prunepongle's radium and mercury enemas, of course. I, Phineas T. Prunepongle, will gladly come to your residence at any time of day or night, preferably night, to personally administer this curative procedure. My high-pressure hoses and pistons will make short work of any unhealthful humors lurking in your body. After this warm and cleansing gastrointestinal purification, you shall feel a new man, positively glowing and humming with good health. <laughs> now, some have questioned the medicinal efficacy of my enemas. Nonsense, I say. I've been self-administering them for years, and I've never been happier. <laughs> Not only that, but I'm flushed with success. Phineas T. Prunepongle's radium and mercury enemas. When your mercury levels are in doubt, my high-pressure hoses will clean you out. <laughs> Right, here at Stately Magwitch Polytechnic College, we are preparing our students to enter into the workforce of tomorrow. All students of Magwitch Polytechnic College receive advanced training in the most cutting-edge careers to ensure you stay at the forefront of your field. We offer state-of-the-art courses to ready you for a future as a bootblack, spitjack, lamplighter, pinsetter, scrivener, broom squire, knocker-up, Gadabout, Artful Dodger, Cobblestone Layer, Seal Clubber, Grease Maiden, Comptroller for the Louse Census, Mudlark, Sword Swallower, Witch Kindler, Donkey Puncher, Scrimshaw Stenographer, Tallow Merchant, Haberdashery Mercurist, Dodo Breeder, Gypsy Flogger, Dungeon Lunatic, Egg Candler, Town Shrieker, Glass Eyeball Blower, Laundry Hurler, Powder Monkey, Receiver of Stolen Goods, Huber Scruff, Caltrop Scatterer, Bugger Bagger, Lord Aleepin, Chicken Sexer, Chamber Pot Smelter, Horse Murderer, Female Hysteria Digitary Manipulator, and so many more. These fields are growing rapidly, and you must act now or miss the greatest opportunity of a lifetime. Magwitch Polytechnic College, for job security for decades to come. We now return you to our previously scheduled program. Why... It's old Fezziwig's tavern that I used to frequent as a young man. There's old Fezziwig himself alive again, busying himself at the taps, bless his heart. Yo-ho, my boys, Ebenezer, Jacob. Look how young Marley and I are, clean-shaven and handsome. No more work tonight. 
Christmas Eve, Jacob. Christmas! Indeed it is, Mr. Fezziwig. Now I've half a mind to celebrate. And we shall oblige. Hilly-ho, Ebenezer. Clear away the tables, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Build up the fire there. It's time for a little song and dance. <laughs> and a round of ale for everyone. Such a place of youthful frivolity and innocence. There's old Daniel Quilp at the piano. We were close friends. I like to eat raw bird's eggs, shells on. Best if they still have birds in them, too. Hello, friend Daniel. How fare you today? Ah, I'll beat you with an iron rod. I'll scratch you with a rusty nail. I'll pinch your eyes out if you ever talk to me again. Come, come, Mr. Quilp. Enough with the jackanapes. I really will murder him and sodomize his corpse for good measure. It's Christmas time. Sing us one of your old favorites. Very well. I call this one <laughs> Sex with a Mermaid. I sailed across the ocean, I sailed across the sea, I sailed till I found a mermaid who meant so much to me. Her hair flowed like seaweed, her breath smelled like clams, her boobs covered in starfish, perfect cup in the palm of me hands. That silky and a tail like a whale now, cursing lacking in lady bits. We tried to mash them together and gave her to fish and chips. Oh, mermaid on man sex is the best there is if you're not too picky to choose. Cause after nine months at sea, what the hell have you got to lose? Happier times, then. As well they should be. Your young heart was in bloom. Do you remember her? My God, it's Belle Trent. Look at her. At the height of her beauty, your lady love whose hand you hoped to win in marriage. It was once my fondest wish. Yes, once. See how she blushes and looks at your younger self? I dare not. Good evening, Miss Trent. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. I have something in my vest pocket here. Would you care to see it? What is it? Why, of all the things! It's a sprig of mistletoe, miss. You wicked fellow. Come now, it's a holiday. What would happen if I held it aloft? Then I should find you wickeder still. Does this bend your sense of propriety? For you, villain, I'd say ask me to dance. And perhaps at the end of it, for someone as handsome as you, you may hold your mistletoe up high like a torch and see what may happen. Oh-ho! What will happen? Listen, the next song is about to begin. I call this next one, Sex with a Badger. You dance delightfully, Ebenezer. Belle, may this moment last forever. A man can feel rich just being in your presence. 
<laughs> if only I were rich, I would shower you with fine things, petticoats and silks and a grand house with a coach and four. Your visions are most charming, but we are young. Life is simple. What do we need with such luxuries? The world is a cruel place to a person without two pennies to rub together. You fear the world too much. The world should fear me. I shall bend it to do my bidding. Then pity the poor world. What does such stony obstinacy gain? For you, Belle. For us. Everything. Ebenezer, a word with you? Go. The song is almost complete. Until later, then. I still have my mistletoe. Then I shall patiently wait for your return to raise your arm aloft. What is so blasted important you rob me of a kiss? Tut tut, you'll thank me later. I've had an idea. Oh no. This moment. It's not just any moment. This is the one that set the whole course of things in motion for the rest of your life. Yes. The night Marley had his grand idea. The night of your Faustian bargain. You've read a modest proposal, have you not? Jonathan Swift, yes. It's required reading in grade school. What of it? There's much sense in what he has to say. A man could profit off these ideas. Jacob, it's a satire. Swift wrote this to comment on heartless attitudes toward the poor and the Irish. Where you see satire, I see a business model. Explain yourself. We are awash in immigrants and other undesirables. Our modern methods of mass production could take advantage of this. Are you suggesting we actually eat the poor? For fun and profit, yes. It's dastardly. Yes. Heinous. Yes. Amoral. Undoubtedly. We'd go to jail if we suggested this to a group of respectable businessmen. Not if you flash enough money in their faces. But the government... Bribe the right officials and we are the government. The clergy with their pulpits? Ties to their churches, and they are our willing lambs. You really think we could make this happen? Faster than you can say buttered bishops. To what end, though? Wealth beyond your wildest imaginings, and whatever your heart desires. That is appealing. No longer poor. Marry who you want. Yes. Respected. Feared! We could make the world bend its knee to us. Captains of industry. All right, let's do it. I'm in. Partners. More like monsters. Belle, it's not as it seems. No, it is worse. But I'm doing this for you. I'd rather die penniless than burn forever for being party to such evil. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall away one by one until the master passion, greed, engrosses you. And this cruel desire for power reveals a twisted soul. Belle, come back! Keep your mistletoe. It's poisonous anyway. Forget her. Once our plan is in motion, you can be with whoever you want. Whenever you want. I... I want no one. Quilp, cheer my sad young friend here with another song. Right, I call this one sex with a mince pie. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Raisins and mince meat, raisins and mince meat, snakes and butter too.
Now listen carefully. We need to raise capital through an issuance of stock to key investors. There will be factories, and we will need to revolutionize the fields of food harvesting and preservation. Yes. I begin to see how to make this happen. We'll have to convince a bank or lending house and scale up from there. And so I lost her. It takes quite some doing to steal one's heart away and put ice in its place. And yet here you are, Mr. Scrooge. Remove me! I cannot bear it! What do you have in your fist, sir? Why... It's the sprig of mistletoe, withered from all the years since. And it crumbled to dust in your hand as we speak. Take me back, please. Haunt me no longer. Very well. Grab my nips and we'll whisk you back to your bedchambers. Has this night no end of horrors? Oh, like this is a picnic for me either? You've obviously never done this before. Have to, says the 70-year-old virgin. You're clutching at them like they're dead kittens. Those would have vastly more appeal. Anyway, we are here, back in your foul bachelor den. Good. Now extinguish the candle by my bed and leave me, so that I may fall into an insentient slumber and escape this madness. Put out the flame! Flame? Where the fire, fire? Calm yourself! You can't yell fire in a crowded ghost story! Don't, Don't tell, tell me what to do, do you, you ugly, ugly worthless man! Well, ta! I'm off to play backgammon with Pip and Estella! Winner ruins the love life of the other two! I play to win! With that, Miss Havisham vaporised into a puff of smoke and a light breeze, some ancient rose petals from her wedding bouquet spinning in her wake. Overcome by an irresistible drowsiness, Scrooge sank into a heavy sleep. And so ends the second chapter. A dastardly plan hatched between Scrooge and Marley, and Scrooge's lady love lost in the process. And it seems another ghost is on the way to visit Scrooge. Stay tuned to find out after these brief commercial interruptions. You're listening to The Real Voice of Christmas, IBS. Hello there, I'm Lewis Carroll. You may remember me as the author of the best-selling book, Alice in Wonderland or my blatant cash grab through the looking glass. I'm here today to dispel a vicious rumor. I am not Jack the Ripper. My killing style is nothing like the Ripper's. In fact, my killing style has a certain timeless quality that families will enjoy for generations to come. So please, stop dragging my good name through the mud by conflating my high art with that of a mere amateur. Also, be on the lookout for my new book, On the Chopping Block. I'm not the Ripper, but if I was, this is how I would have done it. Available at Opium Dens and quality bookstores on the high street. Do your Christmas feasts never quite satisfy? Is each holiday toast a bit less merry than it should be? Well, gentle listener, you don't need to settle for an old-fashioned and boring mulled cider or eggnog ever again. This Christmas put some real magic back into Yuletide with Lady Smackbottom's patented all-natural ramnog. 
We at Smack Bottom Manor have sourced the finest and healthiest young rams to provide the public with this refreshing and satisfying holiday quaff. Fed exclusively on well-aged brandy since midsummer, our rams are now ruddy-cheeked and ready to share their goodness with your friends and family this season. Hot, steaming, creamy and delicious with just a squirt of vanilla, our nog is guilt-free too. Our rams take naturally to our modern, cruelty-free, steam-powered milking apparatus. They have smiles on their faces, and we're sure your family will too. So tell your dairyman to bring you a quart of Smackbottom's Ramnog today. Now available in creamy or chunky. Are you tired of crapping in your bedpan like a common criminal? Are you embarrassed to have your neighbor find you at God knows what hour, tossing your waist like some garbage peon? Well, no more. The four greatest bedpan creators, Smith, Harrison, Engelford, and Thomas, pooled their resources and created the Street John. There is no need for the bedpan when you can skip the side room and crap directly in the street. Now you can greet your neighbor as you wait your turn to flush your troubles away. Say goodbye to the bedpan and say hello to the Street John. Also coming soon is the Street John duo. When neighbors get closer than ever, the street John just flush it already. We now return to our previously scheduled program. Waking up in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together, Scrooge peered warily about. What time is it? One o'clock. An hour to go until the next spirit. And a whole day missing again. Brrr. And colder in this bedchamber than Miss Havisham's stair. Well, no wonder. The window is wide open. I shall latch it before I freeze to death. Hello. Evening, sir. Inspector Bucket, two visits squashed together so soon. How upsetting. It has been a whole day since we last spoke, sir. Yes, I suppose it has. You'll be wanting to come in, then? Um, if you don't mind. A few minutes later, they stood awkwardly together in the parlour. So here we are again. Wanting to see the factory early, hmm? Uh, no, that can wait. It's something else. Out with it, then. I was wondering, have you heard of the ghost ships of Essex? What do you know of ghosts? Oh, a tale to scare children, to be sure. And yet... And yet... Step into any dockside sailor's tavern and purchase enough drinks for any captain fresh into port and he'll tell tales of cargo ships that don't turn from the channel to the Pool of London on the Thames but keep sailing north to destinations unknown. Fleets of them. Preposterous puerile poppycock. I agree, I agree. Why, one old salt spun yarns of old convoys staying as far out at sea as they could accompanied by British Navy frigates that give chase to any vessels what stray too close. A necessary precaution, I'm sure, for the overly curious. Extraordinary military measures for a time of peace, don't you think? I know nothing of nautical matters. I am not much of a salty dick. Believe it or not, this was not a sexual term. No, you don't seem the sailing type, Mr. Scrooge. Tell me, have you ever been to Clacton-on-Sea? Never heard of it. I saw a postcard of it once, many years ago. A modest resort town for seaside bathers. Never been there myself, and it's so close to London. Now that I think on it, no one I know has ever taken a holiday there. So I decided to go, 
A Christmas time holiday. What gay fun. How very festive of you. Clacton, I'm afraid, is something of a riddle. It possesses a massive railway operation, heavy gauge tracks going into town, though no station I could devise or ticket I could purchase to visit this destination. I had to hire a coach in Great Bentley to make it anywhere near Clacton. And even there, there were armed constables and a toll booth to turn me away from a journey's end. Your holiday hardly sounds gay at all. Not even remotely fabulous. These expressions, too, had different connotations at the time. I cannot stress that enough. Too bad you had to turn back. Thanks for the boring story. But since I was there already, even on such a bitter winter's evening, it seemed to me a lovely time for a stroll. Fortunately, I had my binoculars with me. A peculiar time for bird watching. Oh, when on the beach, you never know when you'll spot a passing booby or tit. Okay, he definitely meant that one. Under cover of night, I had the coachman set me by a promising meadow. And from there, I crested a hill overlooking Clacton. From this vantage point, I saw not the simple seaside quay I remembered from the postcard, but a huge port teeming with vessels, steamships and clippers and ships of war. Strange, so much commerce in one place, in the middle of the countryside. And yet, upon my return to London, Further inquiry of the public records revealed no listed portmaster, no customs office, not even a map. You'd think there'd be some civic booster it'd take to the journals and want to shout this incredible engine of industry to the heavens. So sorry you have to leave. Right now. A phantom port. Of all things marvellous in this age we live in. An industrial zone that does not exist in a seesaw town that no one has ever visited. It's ex officio terra non grata, no man's land. The mind boggles. Uh, there is one more thing of interest to me, and perhaps to you too. Nothing you say is of interest to me. As I was abandoned in my hillside sightseeing of tits, a caravan of mule teams passed me on the road. The trucks all bore the same message scrawled upon their sides. Property of Soylent Scrooge. Must have made a wrong turn. My foreign meat unloads near mercy. Foreign, sir. An interesting choice of words. I think further investigations are in order. I have a few more leads to pursue, but I think I'd rather fancy a return to Clacton. Soon. Fine. Go. Walk the Strand. Eat a candy floss. Catch a minstrel show. Drown in the channel for all I care. Now, if you'll excuse me... I have an appointment. Yes, sir. I'll uh, leave you to your nightly visit with the uh, whore priest. Oh, and Merry Christmas. Good riddance. Now what? What strange supernatural being shall torment me next? Nothing between a baby and rhinoceros will astonish me. Lights, makeup, scenery. Let's hurry this spectral visitation up. Chop, chop, we open at Portsmouth the day after tomorrow. Scrooge was prepared for something odd, but not for something quite as odd as the sight he encountered. At the upper end of his bedroom were a couple of youths. One of them was very tall and the other very short. Both dressed as musketeers, or at least as theatrical musketeers, with belts, buckles, pigtails and pistols, fighting in terrific combat. On guard, prepare to taste my steel, French villain. Never! You'll die at my hand, English Pete! 
The director of this melee was large and plump, with a hoarse voice as though he were in the habit of shouting. No! Thrust! Parry! Repost! Dodge! Roll! Coracorps! A hit! A very palpable hit! Ooh, flesh! In a legal move, he fights dirty. <laughs> I love it. As I was saying, in the habit of shouting, a lot. He had short black hair shaved off nearly to the crown. Makes it easier to wear character wigs of any shape or pattern. Who are you people? Take five, boys, take five. And tell Nickleby to keep tarting up the script. That'll pack the house. As for you, who am I? Who am I? <gasps> Two, four, six... Hold it! Oh. Hold it! Time out! That's Hugo! We're doing Dickens! Sorry. A spotlight over here, please. And not too harsh, either. Put a rose-tinted lens on it, will you, lovey? We're not getting any younger. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this rank Philistine does not recognize one of the foremost thespians of the age. Toast of Saxony, darling of the Hague, a star in Hohenzollern Silmaringen, a living legend. What? Nothing? Nope. Not a clue. The one, the only, the magnificent Vincent Crummles. Performer to kings and queens and the creme de la creme of London society. But you may call me the ghost of Christmas present. You, you're my next ghost. Ta-da! In the pink. Although, now that I look at the script, it's not exactly a starring role. This character is more of a bit part... And to think of the things that Marley made me do on the casting couch. <sighs> no matter! No part too small! Vincent Crummel shall dazzle his audiences with his dramaturgical ability! Oh god, an actor. Correct! I have been known to tread the boards from time to time. I'm in the theatrical profession. My wife is in the theatrical profession. My children are in the theatrical profession. I had a dog that lived and died in it, from puppyhood to wizened hound. He was masterful in an all-dog adaptation of Shakespeare. Fido Andronicus. Peed on the proscenium, but never blew a line. Your dog? My chase pony went on stage in Timor the Tartar. Between you and me, that one didn't go down so well. Why's that? She lost her voice. After all, she was a little horse. <laughs> I hate you. Oh, come on! That's a little theater humor. It slays him in the aisles in Blackpool. We're not in Blackpool. I believe you're supposed to be haunting me or something. Poo-poo. Might as well get this show on the road, shall we? Now we'll fly you to our first touching tableau. All you have to do is... I know. Grab your breasts. What? No! Who told you that? Nothing. No one. Shut up. Hey, if you want to give the girls the old squeeze, that's up to you. But we've got to make our seats before they dim the lights. Let me check our tickets. Ooh la la, right next to the royal box. 
Fancy! Now take my hand, my hand, and places, everyone! Places! The room vanished instantly, and they stood on the city street on Christmas morning. Taking Scrooge's hand, the spirit whisked him up the busy streets, past the joyful pedestrians who jostled and laughed with each other, eager in the hopeful promise of the day, until they came to a modest little four-roomed house. Why, I know this place. It is the home of my clerk, Borb Cratchit. Borb? You think you have an employee named Borb? Don't I? It's Bob! Is it? Well... I can't be expected to know the name of everyone in my employ. He works literally in the same room as you. And who the devil is named Borb? I'll have you know that my sainted Uncle Borb was a second father to me and a patron to his community. How dare you impugn his memory? I'm... I'm sorry. We seem to have left the rails here, at any rate. And there, in the house, was Mrs. Cratchit, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, and brave in ribbons, which are cheap and make a goodly show for sixpence. She laid the tablecloth, assisted by her daughter Martha Cratchit, also brave in ribbons. Cratchit can afford ribbons? Feh! I'm paying him too much. Hush! You're here to listen, not to speak, Mr. Fancy Pants. Mama, tell me truly. Do we look like idiots with these ribbons hanging all over our dresses? Well, dear, I wouldn't have worn the one that says participation, but that 4-H prize all ribbon really sets off your eyes. So, yes. Yes, but, but what can we do? We're poor but saintly, with indomitable spirit, so we bedeck ourselves in ribbons. That's not a thing. At any rate, I'm glad your mistress will let you off for Christmas dinner, Martha. Your dear father will be so surprised he will. Mistress? Of course. Martha is eleven. She works ninety hours a week as a scullery maid. Only ninety? She is a minor. Ah, yes. Quite right. Quite right. Yes, Mama. Mistress Eleanor was ever so kind to let me come home. And not only that, but look what she gave me! Why, Martha! What a goose! Yes, and only three quarters eaten. We shall feast, Mama. Hmm, but but wherever has your precious father got to? And your brother, Tiny Tim? Why do you always refer to him as your brother, Tiny Tim, Mama? I know he's my brother. (laughs) Exposition, dear. There's Father! Hide, Martha! Hide! So Martha hid herself, and in came Bob, with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas for Tiny Tim! He bore a little crutch, and his limbs were supported by an iron frame. He was at all times fastened by rubber tubes to a steam-powered dialysis machine, which Bob bore upon his other shoulder. Tim's spine, sold by the family for food money during straitened circumstances, had long ago been replaced by a substandard wooden substitute, and his head was held onto his frail neck only by a Byzantine series of bolts and pulleys. He also had a sprained pinky. Down you go, Tiny Tim. Ah, smell that lovely pudding your mother is making. I have no sense of smell or taste. All food is ashes in my mouth. What a lovely Christmas we shall have, my boy. 
My life is a constant forced march of agony. Don't worry, Tim. We'll feed you up big and strong on some Soylent Slurry. I think the slurry is what's making me sick. Nonsense, my boy. Soylent Slurry feeds this family and families all across England. The doctor says I have scrapie, a wasting disease of the nervous system. Such an imagination our Tim has. It's most common in sheep after they've been fed brains and organs. Papa, what's in Soylent Scrooge? Mr. Scrooge says it's ingredients, and that's good enough for me. My dear wife, where's Martha? Alas, she's not coming. Not coming? Not coming upon Christmas Day? Martha didn't like to see him disappointed, even if it were only a joke. So she came out from behind the closet door and ran into his arms. Papa! My dear girl! And dear tiny Tim, come, let's go across the room to the stove that you may hear the pudding sing in the copper. Fine. I suppose you know that walking even that far is agony for me. Come, Tiny Tim, come! That child seems ill. So should he. After all, he's had a steady diet of soil and Scrooge slurry all his life. It's a wonder he's not dead yet. Humbug, his sister looks healthy enough. Because she can dine upon scraps of real food at her mistress's house. But poor Tiny Tim must survive on your foul slurry. It's only upon Christmas that he dines on fare so rich as goose. It's three quarters eaten. Still, now hush and attend. And how did Tiny Tim behave at church? As good as gold, and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much, and he thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me, coming home, that he hoped the people saw him in the church, because he was crippled, and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. I said no such thing. His simple belief is truly an inspiration. Your religion is a delusion, old man. Oftentimes, when my own spirits are down, I think upon Tim's childlike faith and feel my own restored. The universe is either indifferent or actively malevolent. No loving God would do this to a child. <laughs> yes, our tiny Tim is a wonder he is. But now, let us feast. Look what Martha has brought us. Why, there was never such a goose. I do not believe there was ever such a goose cooked and only three quarters eaten. That bird's at least a week old, and it's still got waste clinging to it from the rubbish bin. We should have gone to my nephew Fred's. At least he's serving a steaming bantam rooster. This is supposed to illustrate the crotchet saintliness of spirit, you ninny. If you say so, I'd still rather have the hot cock. Eat out by applesauce and mashed potatoes, and of course, a generous helping of holiday slurry. The goose fragment was sufficient dinner for the whole family, and soon it was time for Mrs. Cratchit to fetch the pudding, which was also made of Soylent Scrooge figgy rum holiday slurry. Oh, I worry so about this pudding. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it. I'm dying of a dozen different diseases, and that's what you're worried about? I've got monkeypox, for Christ's sake. Monkeypox! My dear, fear not. I'm sure your pudding shall be a triumph. And so Mrs. Cratchit bustled back to fetch the pudding. Hello, a great deal of steam. 
the pudding was out of the copper. A smell like a washing day, that was the cloth. A smell like an eating house and the pastry cooks next door to each other with the laundresses next door to that. That was the pudding. It smells like soiled laundry? Is that supposed to be appetising? It's the Victorian era. People eat arsenic medicinally. In half a minute, Mrs Cratchit entered, flushed but smiling proudly, with the pudding like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, lightly weeping bloody juices, blazing in half of half a quartern of ignite and brandy, and bedight with a steak of Christmas holly impaled into the top. Take a taste, Bob. Oh, I do hope it's good. My dear, it is a triumph, as I said. I regard it as the greatest success you've achieved since our marriage. Well, thank God for that. Christ knows neither of you are good at making healthy children. It is a small pudding for such a large family. (laughs) Are you suggesting that your miserliness is responsible for their poverty? That the Cratchits deserve more at your hands? No, I was suggesting that they stop breeding. At last the dinner was done, and apples and oranges were put upon the table, and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Ah, the roasting chestnuts. I remember this fondly from my youth. Uh, no, they're actually... well, they're using them for fuel. You're joking. I said they were saintly. I never said they were smart. At long last, with the fruit eaten and the chestnuts crackling merrily in the half, Bob Cratchit proposed a toast. To Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I'd hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I am sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, unfair feeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you, poor fellow. My dear Christmas Day! I'll drink his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us. God is a lie we tell ourselves to keep from screaming. Hear, hear! Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. I see a wooden spine and a head attachment apparatus, sadly coated with gathering dust. I see a dialysis machine that cleans no urine. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. Well, shit. Well, time to go. In a twinkling, the spirit had returned Scrooge to his bedchamber, where the two youths were still playing at being musketeers. Back to my own rooms. And night again, with the chimes ringing three quarters past. Well, Boobler, we've got to pack it up and move on to the next town. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Spirit, wait. Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, but who are those two youths? Are they yours 
They are man's. One is ignorance, and the other is want. There's a bunch of deeply symbolic shit going on with them. Uh, I'd stay and tell you about it, but frankly, I've cooled on this scene. Ciao! Wait! What? Must Tiny Tim die? Oh no, good spirit, say he will be spared. Nope. That is a harsh saying, spirit. For such a child to die, it is tragic. Of course it is. In every life, no matter how full or empty one's purse, there is tragedy. It is the one promise life always fulfills. Thus, happiness is a gift. And the trick is not to expect it, but to delight in it when it comes. And to add to other people's store of it. But what becomes of Bob Cratchit's happiness should Tiny Tim die, spirit? What then? What happens if too early we lose a parent? That party on whom we rely for only everything. What did these people do when their family shrank? They cried their tears, but then they did the vital thing. They built a new family, person by person. They came to see that family need not be defined merely as those with whom we share blood but as those for whom we would give our blood. Like a transfusion? They're experimenting with that on sheep now, I hear, to alleviate scrapey. I say, did you know there's a rash of scrapey cropping up in humans all over the countryside? <sighs> yes, Ebenezer. Like a transfusion. Damn it! It's midnight! Now I really do have to go. So that's it? That's it, yeah. Seems a bit anticlimactic. I was hoping for something a bit more profound right at the end here. You and me both, sister. It's too bad you didn't time that speech about family just a moment later. There would have been a fantastic button on this evening. It would have. It really would have. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, somewhat lamely, ends the third chapter. Well, that was a disappointing way to end the scene. Let's hope it gets better from here. Find out after these words from our sponsor. Are you tired of waiting for the justice you so justly deserve? Then consider me Robert Green. Poet at law. Neighbor been trimming your hedges? Have a brother-in-law refuses to give you a go with his missus? Then allow me to use the written word to get you what you deserve. But don't take my word for it. Listen to one of my satisfied customers. Here I was, minding my own business, chimney sweeping as I do, and around the corner, some bloody idiot in a lorry. Runs me right over, flattened me foot like a bleeding pancake. That's when I reached out to Robert Green. He wrote a sonnet about that man, committed suicide six weeks later. Thanks, Robert Green. If you're able to write, reach out to me, Robert Green, Herald's Office, London. The Great Stink. Everyone hates it, nobody likes it, so why do we put up with it? That's right, we shouldn't. I propose that we drain the Thames, replace all the water with perfume, and go on about our lives. This September, remember me, Martin Cratchit, 
the working man's candidate for House of Commons. Put me to work for you. Paid for by the committee to elect Cratchit. Oi! Is your chimney choked to the brim with soot? Is your flu gummed up to the wazoo with goop, gunk, and grime? Well, good, cause that's why God put old Gamfield on this green earth he did to blow out chimneys as clean as a whistle. I use only the choicest orphans as my climbing boys, steadfast from personal trauma and whipped thrice daily to instill a hearty constitution. There is no limit to the number of young boys I will sacrifice to ensure your chimney is free of debris. I promise to bombard that clog with orphan corpse after orphan corpse after orphan corpse, each more cherubic than the last, until that soot don't know what hit it. I shall rend the congestion asunder with the sheer weight of the dead, or my name ain't good old Gamfield, eh? That's Gamfield's chimney sweeps. Mention this advertisement and receive free orphan corpse removal during your next inspection. We now return you to Soylent Scrooge here on IBS, your true home of Christmas. After the spirit had departed, old Scrooge stood alone in his darkened bedchamber, pondering all that had passed. The clock has struck twelve. Did I indeed pass a whole night with the spirits again? And yet, if Marley spoke the truth, there's one more yet to come. Ah! Can it be? I should have thought I'd have until three! The spirit comes before his time! Bear up, old man. Just one more visitation, and this torment is done. Now screw up your courage, Scrooge, and answer the door. Patience, spirit, I shall answer. Scrooge lit a candle, and out of his bedchamber he went on trembling legs. He descended the stair, almost paralyzed with fear, but steadfast in his determination to see the thing through. At long last, he reached the street door, and, summoning all his courage, cast it open. Inspector Bucket, yet again! Good evening, Mr. Scrooge. Might I pop in for a moment? Have you no sense of propriety, man? It's the very dead of night! I'll take dead as a yes. Oh, very well, then. I see you've taken it upon yourself to invite two guests into my home as well. Oh, yes. Mr. Scrooge, Constables Wickham and Bingley. Oi! Oi! Strapping young lads, ain't they? It calms one to know they're about. After all, you never know what kind of shady character you'll meet upon the street at this time of night. Which is why decent folk are abed this time of night, Inspector. Abed, which is where I should like to be. So if you please, state your business and take your leave. Right then, sir. To business. Perhaps you recall from our last interview that I recently discovered some peculiar goings-on in Clacton-on-Sea. I recall that you thought they were peculiar enough to roust me from my bed. For what reason I know not. Well, sir, I'm drawing toward that. You must let me go about it in my own way. Fine, fine. But hastily, I pray. The hour is late and it is very cold. Well, sir, I must confess that the things I saw there, the fleets of ships, the caravans with your company's name upon the sides, the military presence, they confused me. Couldn't concentrate on me work. They kept 
preying on my mind, you see. So finally I decided there was nothing for it but to go back to Clacton and see what I could see. And I suppose you saw something else to interest you. Really, Inspector, please draw toward a point or quit my chambers. Something to interest me. Aye, the very phrase, sir. You see, on this trip I kept to the wood and so was able to avoid detection by the truly astonishing platoon of guards what had been posted there. Crawled on my belly through some rough terrain lest I be detected and saw another peculiar thing. Long boxes, unloaded from merchant ships, brought ashore and loaded into your caravans. Long boxes, you say? Aye, like coffins. Go on, Inspector. Tell me the rest of your tale. What do you think you know? I know I was in a burning hurry to find out what was in them boxes, sir. I know I followed one of them caravans all the way back to London, which weren't easy to do without being spotted. I know that caravan rolled to a stop right around the time the sun went down this very night, and I know it rolled to a stop outside your own manufactory. I do not pay attention to all the shipments we receive, Inspector Bucket, but I'm sure you saw a delivery of new belts or machine parts, nothing more sinister than that. Aye, sir, it crossed me mind it might be just such as that. So to make sure, I waited until your plant had closed for the day and took a look myself. Are you saying you broke into my property, Inspector? Certainly, sir. A man don't rise on the force unless he's a dareband with thieves' tools himself. I shall see you jailed. I think not, sir. Indeed, I think not. For you know as well as I do what I found in your loading bay. Long boxes, row upon row of them, stretching into the darkness as if you were warehousing coffins. And what should I find in them boxes, Mr. Scrooge? What did you find, my dear inspector? Bodies. Men, women, and children. Have you a pat answer for that, you scoundrel? Of course I do, Inspector. It is an unfortunate truth that many of the indigent die and leave no one behind to look after their remains. I have contracted with the government to dispose of their bodies discreetly and with dignity. Oh, you dispose of them all right, Mr. Scrooge. But they ain't the bodies of the London poor. I'm not a worldly man, but I'll recognize the dress of a bohemian or a Prussian when I see it. Costumes from folks around the globe, from every corner of the empire. Chinese and Indian and Malaysian. Them bodies is immigrants, sir. Every last one of them. Immigrants, too, need their dead looked after, Inspector. Give it up, Scrooge. Do you really think I stopped looking and went home once I found them poor souls? No, sir. I walked right through that loading dock and right onto the factory floor. I followed them conveyors of yours. I saw how your process works from beginning to end. And God damn you, sir, I saw the blood and the hair in them gears. Your point, Inspector? You know damn well what my point is, you villain. Soylent Scrooge is people! Of course it is. You don't deny it, then? Deny it? I embrace it! I insist upon it! You're the devil. The devil, sir. May God save the Empire from your evil. The devil? You petty little man, I am the saviour of this Empire! 
Before my advent, hundreds of thousands starved in the streets. One couldn't walk through Hyde Park in the daylight for the footpads and cut purses. Throngs of immigrants swarmed our shores, filthy refugees from the most benighted lands upon the globe. I have saved us from that, from starvation, overpopulation, crime. You bucket want to set a pair of demon's horns upon my head and prison walls round my old body. Bah! You should instead fall to your knees and thanks. God did not save your empire, Bucket. I did. Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge, I arrest you in the name of the law for high crimes against the crown and against the state. Crimes against the state? You fool! I am the state! Seize him! Who the devil do you think you're talking? Wait, what's this then? Bingley! Wickham, what do you think you're doing grabbing me about the arms like that? Arrest this man! Oh, I don't think they'll be arresting me, Inspector. Bingley! Wickham! Sorry about this, Inspector. You're a good sort, but orders is orders. Orders? What orders? We can't see you bringing Mr. Scrooge to arms, sir. Upon whose authority? Upon mine. Upon the Queen's. For they are one and the same. Take him hence, constables, and leave him in the Thames on the river bottom. This ain't right. This ain't the law. Every society is judged on how it treats its weak and vulnerable. Have you no mercy for them? None whatsoever. I demand you release me. I demand justice. Justice is a patent medicine the wise and the powerful sell to the weak and the foolish. Good night, Inspector. Well, um, dear God, after their interview had come to its conclusion, the inspector bade Scrooge a good night and went home to his wife and children. He shall never again gaze upon the sun. Yes, home to his loving family. As for Scrooge, his intercourse with the inspector had wearied him, and as he hauled his old bones up the stairs to his bedchamber, he longed for nothing more than the comfort of his bedclothes. But upon the instant, the clock struck three. The clock! The time has come for the final spirit to make his visitation. But where is he? Right over here, sir, begging your pardon. Scrooge whirled at the sound of the voice and beheld, standing in the corner of the room, the third spirit. His face was quite cadaverous, though in the grain of it there was that tinge of red, which is sometimes to be observed in the skins of red-haired people. That face might belong to a red-haired person, but it was impossible to tell, for the spirit, long, lean and bony, was cloaked head to foot in a tattered black robe, and his reddish-white face peeped out from beneath an inky hood. Ah! Ah! Sorry, your appearance startled me. I beg your pardon, spirit. Oh, I forgive you, Mr. Scrooge. I forgive everybody. It would ill become me to bear any malice. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? Oh, indeed, sir, indeed. Uriah Eep at your service. Oh. oh. What is it? I expected something more frightening, I suppose. A black-clad skeleton who refused to speak and only gestured Ominously, perhaps? Oh, yes, Mr. Scrooge, so you're thinking of Gordon. I'm taking his practice while he's on a holiday. Oh, what a fine spirit Gordon is, Mr. Scrooge. 
Now, now, I'm sure you're a very notable spirit yourself. Me, Mr. Scrooge? Oh, no. I'm just a very humble phantom. You were about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Is that so, spirit? Oh, yes, indeed, sir. Yes, indeed. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. Oh, fear me not, sir. I'm a very humble phantom. Um, yes, so you've said. Well, well, then lead on. Lead on, spirit, for the night is waning fast, and I know time is precious to me. And with that, the phantom bore Scrooge up in his cloak, and suddenly the very city seemed to spring up about them to encompass them of its own act. They were in the very heart of it, amongst the merchants, who hurried up and down the street. The spirit stopped by a little knot of businessmen, and Scrooge advanced to hear their talk. No, I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Old Scratch has got his own at last, eh? <laughs> <laughs> what has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. <laughs> it's likely to be a very cheap funeral for a part of my life. I don't know anybody to go to it. I don't mind going if lunch is provided. <laughs> Spirit! I see, I see! The case of this unhappy man might be my own! You've not seen the worst yet, Mr. Scrooge. I get the point, really. Lesson learned. We, we can go home now. Oh, we could never, Mr. Scrooge, sir. There's so much more. Of course there is. They left that busy scene and went to an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never penetrated before, although he recognised its situation and its bad repute. Prostitutes, get your prostitutes here. Dead babies, dead babies for sale. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed, beetling horn shop. Inside, sitting among the wares he dealt in, was a grey-haired old rascal bargaining with two women who were laden with heavy bundles. One of them, a laundress, cast her bundle upon the table. Very well then, who's the worst for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. Open that bundle, old Joe. Let me know the value of it. Let's see. Sheets and towels, little wear in apparel, and a few boots. What's this? An illustrated magazine? Great aspectations. The December issue, I'll warrant. That's not mine. I I'm a ghost. You do know we know everything, right? For all this, ten shillings. Always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine. And what have you, my dear charwoman? Here's my bundle, Joe. See for yourself. What's this? Bed curtains? Bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down rings and all with them lying there? Yes, I do. And why not? You think that's bad? He was still holding the magazine when I found him. In one hand. If you get me drift. <laughs> <laughs> oh, spirit. How cruel to jest over this man's demise. Please, show me some tenderness connected with a death, or I fear my soul shall be darkened forever. I'm sure I'd be more than happy to, Mr. Scrooge, sir. 
The spirit conducted him through several familiar streets until at last they came to poor Bob Cratchit's house. They entered the dwelling and found Mrs. Cratchit and Martha seated before the fire, sewing. But it was quiet, so quiet. I must put aside this sewing for a moment. This close work hurts my eyes, makes them weak by candlelight, and I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather, Mama. But I think Papa has walked a little slower than he used these past few evenings. I have known him to walk with... I... I have known him to walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Very fast indeed. And so have I. Often. No! Not Tiny Tim! But he was very light to carry, and and your father, he loved him so, that it was no trouble. No trouble. But there's your father at the door. I pray you, Martha, my love, wear your bravest face. Ah, my, my dear family. Come, my dear, and warm yourself by the fire. Tell me, did you go today? Yes, my dear, I wish you could have gone. It, w- it would have done you good to see how green the place is. But sh- you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on Sunday. My <laughs> my little child, my <laughs> little, little child. <laughs> there, there, Bob. Oh, don't weep before little Martha. He was so frail, my dear, so very frail. I never should have encouraged him to take up sport. Now, Bob, you mustn't blame yourself. Tim loved the competition so, and the doctor said that javelin catch was a good sport for one so small as he. I could not help but feel I should have seen it coming. Now, Bob, enough of that. It was simply a freak accident. Not you, nor Anyone else could have seen it coming. A freak accident? Was the poor lad run down by a carriage or something of the sort? No, he was impaled by a javelin. Cratchit's right. He should have seen that coming. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry, my dears. Let's think of the good times with dear Tiny Tim. Yes, Papa. Only the good times. Scrooge and the spirit then withdrew from that house of pain, leaving the Cratchits to their grief. Oh, spirit, that was too terrible. Poor Tiny Tim. But something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. Before you take your leave, spirit, tell me, who was the dead man of whom so many spoke with such scorn? I really think we should just cut our losses here. Nay, spirit, I beseech you. Really, it's getting late. I'm just filling in for the regular guy and, um... Spirit! (sighs) Fine, but you're not going to like it. Again, the spectre's cloak seemed to enfold Scrooge, and all the world shifted and ran out from under their figures, then reformed itself and gained solidity. It was deep as night, and Scrooge and the ghost stood before an iron gate. A churchyard! Here, then, the wretched man whose name I have now to learn lies underneath the ground. 
and such a worthy place, boxed in by houses, overrun with weeds. A worthy place indeed. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. Scrooge advanced towards it, trembling. Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, spirit, answer me one question. I know that was your copy of Great Aspectations. Not what I was going to ask. Right. Sorry. Are these the shadows of the things that will be? Or are they shadows of things that may be only? But the ghost made no reply, and only pointed downward towards the grave by which it stood. Men's courses foreshadow certain ends to which... If they persevere, they must lead. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. Just look at the damn headstone, all right? I'm on a schedule here. Scrooge crept toward it, trembling as he went, and following the spirit's outstretched finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I the man whose death caused such rejoicing? No, spirit, oh no! Hear me! I am not the man I was! I will not be the man I would have been but for this intercourse! Why show me this if I am past all hope? Assure me that I may yet change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life! I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year! Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Repent, Scrooge, or into the inferno blades you go. The grave. The ground is opening into a hell mouth, a portal glowing red, and at the bottom, gears, knives, and blades. Aye, the very factory blades into which you fed your victims. Goodbye, old chum. Time to meet your maker. Here, have a little shove from old Uriah. (laughs) Get away from me, you accursed ginger. I'm falling, falling into the grave. Wait. I'm... I'm okay. Oh, Jesus, fine, or I don't stroke out on me. Just try to be a little less of a shitty person, will you? And with that, as Scrooge held up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the Phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. And so ends the fourth chapter. Wow, the ghost robes and hood turned into a bedpost. That's exciting. And we'll find out what happens next, right after these words from our sponsor. Wait, a a bedpost? What what the? Tired of those awful headaches? Wish you could find a cure that would last longer. We'll look no further than the good doctor's arsenic solution. That's right, any ache, pain, or rolling sore will be taken away forever with this potent cure. Just take three spoonfuls and you'll feel like heaven. No more of that nasty twinge of pain from that black tooth that just won't fall out. Have a broken leg and you can't find someone to saw that bad boy off? Is an unsightly flesh wound ruining your day? Perhaps your mother-in-law is twisting your nerves. Just take some of the good doctor's elixir and all your problems will go away. Now in cherry, grape, and caramel flavors. Kids love it too. Sold at the finest opium dames or brothels near you. 
Do you like puppies? Sure, we all do. They're quite delicious. New puppy pumpernickel. Just in time for the holidays. Nothing says Merry Christmas like finely sliced bits of Labrador, slivers of schnauzer, and paste of poodle. All our puppies are bred to be bred. Only the finest puppies for our pumpernickel. Give it as a gift, save it for yourself, or serve it during the holidays. All loafs are made fresh, served warm, ready, and wagging. That's Pumpy Pumpernickel. It's a treat with a different kind of meat. Good evening, my friends. Phineas T. Prunebongle here with a brief public service announcement. By order of Her Majesty's Courts, I should like, or rather I am forced, to issue this mandatory public apology and official retraction of all previous medical claims made in regard to my female hysteria remedies, my radium enemas, and my pediatric premortem autopsy service. It has come to my attention, <laughs> or rather, the attention of Scotland Yard, that radium and mercury enemas are, in point of fact, not curative for the lumbago, as I previously stated. I am also instructed to state that they do not cure consumption, although I believe the science will vindicate me in time. <laughs> also, I insist that I am in no way responsible for the recent outbreak of warts upon the marital organs of some of the countryside's minor nobles. However, I should like to issue a personal apology to the third Duchess of Kent. She knows why. <laughs> At any rate, ladies and gentlemen, I am forced by an unfeeling, regressive judiciary to withdraw all offers of medical services. However, I am pleased to announce my new Antipodean Phrenology Service. Antipodean Phrenology, you say? Indeed, I say. Instead of grossly fondling your skull like these modern phrenological charlatans do, I shall determine your character and risk for certain maladies by vigorously greasing and palpating your gluteus maximus. <laughs> by this device, I shall be able to tell you, to a very near certainty, your character, inclination to criminality, and much more. This service is open to all, but gentlemen are very much preferred. <laughs> Phineas T. Prunepongle's Antipodean Phrenology Service. Don't trust a quack of ill repute. Let Phineas Prunepongle squeeze your glutes. <laughs> we now return you to your IBS production of Soylent Scrooge. Bedposts? Seriously? Yes, and the bedpost was his own, the bed was his own, the room was his own, but, happiest of all, the time before him was his own. To make amends in, Scrooge leapt from his bed, delirious with joy. I will live in the past, present, and future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, oh, Jacob, on my knees. Ah, Merry Christmas, old Jacob! Merry Christmas, my drafty old bedchamber! Merry Christmas, you old lamppost! Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan! Take it down a notch. I am sorry, but I don't know what to do. I am as light as a feather. 
I am as happy as an angel. I am as merry as a schoolboy. A Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. But wait, I don't know what day of the month it is. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. Running to the window, Scrooge opened it and put out his head. The day was bright, clear, cold, glorious. Below, walking down the snow-blanketed street, was a young boy. I say! I say, boy! Yes, sir? What's today? Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? Well, I suppose that depends. I'm sorry? Do you mean according to the Gregorian or the Julian calendar? What the devil? I only ask because I don't want to give you the Gregorian date if you're still on the Julian. Why on earth would I still be using the Julian calendar? We've been using the Gregorian since 1582. Yes, October of 1582 to be exact, when Pope Gregory XIII introduced it in order to make a 0.002% correction to the length of the year. Of course, to help stop the drift of the calendar with respect to the northern vernal equinox. So? So why would I want the Julian date, damn your eyes? Now don't you go knocking the Julian calendar. They're still using it in Russia. What day is it? Today, sir? Why, Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day! I haven't missed it! The spirits have done it all in one night! Less you're on the Julian. Then it's only December 13th. Never mind the goddamn Julian calendar. It doesn't matter. It's Christmas Day. Glorious, glorious! If all that religious malarkey suits you, I suppose. I'm a dialectical materialist myself. Never mind that, my boy. Do you know the Poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? Yes, sir. Excellent. I'm going to drop this gold bar out the window. Take it to the Poulterers and buy his finest goose and bring it back here. Yes, sir. Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's landed on his head. He's... Yes, he's definitely dead. No matter! I spy another urchin approaching. I say, I say, my fine young fellow. Yes, sir? Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? Winchesters? I should hope I did, sir. An intelligent boy. Wonderful, yes, Winchesters indeed. Now, I want you to pry that gold bar out of the skull of that young man on the ground. There, take it to the poulterers and bring me back the fattest goose you can find. Yes, sir. Um... A real goose, sir, or a prostitute? A what? A Winchester goose is also slang for a prostitute. It is? It is. It actually was. Oh, well, both, I suppose, if you can get them. Do it quickly and I'll give you a shilling. Get them back here in under five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. Half a crown? Oh, yes, sir. Right away, sir. I'll send them to Bob Cratchit. He shan't know who sent them. Why, it's delightful! After Scrooge had sent the goose and prostitute on their way to Bob Cratchit's home, he dressed himself in all his best and at last got out into the street. People were by this time pouring forth and Scrooge regarded each of them with a delighted smile. Merry Christmas! What a weirdo! Merry Christmas! This early in the morning, isn't it? Merry Christmas, I say. Merry Christmas, my good man. On the Julian calendar, you insensitive writer. 
I say, who's that gentleman walking ahead of me? Why, it's one of the gentlemen who came to my factory yesterday, collecting for the poor and indigent. His colleague was a vampire, of course, but this man did me no harm. And how shabbily I treated him. I must make amends. My dear sir, how do you do? Mr. Scrooge? Yes, that is my name, and I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon. And will you have the goodness to allow me to donate this bar of gold to your cause? Lord bless me! My dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. My dear sir, I don't know what to say to such munificence. Catch! Oh dear, oh my, that... that hit him directly in the face. Sir? Sir? Yes, he's dead. Oh well, it's the thought that counts. On with Christmas! Scrooge went to church and walked about the streets and had Merry Christmas on his lips for each passerby. At noontime, he even went to a home for the indigent and handed out cans of his own Soylent Scrooge holiday slurry. Come, come, my friends, there's slurry enough for all. There shall never be a shortage, for I have decided to triple production. None in the British Empire shall ever go hungry again, one way or another. God bless you, Mr. Scrooge, sir. It's a heavenly meal, it is. This tastes like me cousin. That's a disturbing thing to say. In the afternoon, Scrooge turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to knock, but at last he made a dash and did it before his nerve could fail him. Why, bless my soul! Who's that? It's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I've come to dinner. I believe you said something about a nice cock. This was meant far more innocently than it sounded. Indeed I did, Uncle, and as plump and hot as ever you pleased. Again, I cannot stress enough that this conversation sounded fine in 1893. Come in, Uncle, come in. I am delighted to see you. My dear, my dear, come in here. I want you to meet my Uncle Scrooge. He's joining us for dinner. Uncle Scrooge, this is my darling wife. Oh, my dear Uncle Scrooge, I've longed to meet you. Welcome indeed. The fault is mine, my dear. I have been most unforgivably tardy in making your acquaintance. Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas to you, my dear Uncle. Wait, can this be the same Ebenezer Scrooge who only yesterday told me that Christmas was a humbug? The same? Nay, Fred, changed. I am a changed man indeed. And, my boy, I've been a fool these many years. It is just... I see your mother in your face, Fred. I still miss her so. For too long, I've shut you out because her absence saddens me to this day. Can you forgive an old man his folly and keep Christmas with him? There is nothing to forgive, Uncle. It will be my greatest joy and honor to keep Christmas with you. And mine as well, dear Uncle. I am glad to hear it. Come, let us make merry, and I've invited others to make merry with us. Wonderful! Merry-making is best when done with a great, bustling crowd. And here they are now! Is that... is that a police wagon? Yes, indeed. 
I had the constabulary round up my employee, Bob Cratchit, and his family. They live in want, you see, and I felt they should have the merry time they deserve. Ah, I see. You brought pools into my house. How, how wonderfully charitable. Yes, how uh, liberal-minded. All right, you lot, in you go. Here we are, Mr. Scrooge, sir. The whole lot of them, just like you requested. Thank you, Constable. Mr. Mr. Scrooge, sir? Yes, Bob. Quite a surprise, eh? I should say so. First thing this morning, a prostitute shows up on our doorstep with a Christmas goose, saying she and the goose were both for Bob. Now, now, dear. I... And, of course, Bob couldn't just take the goose and send the trolley packing. <laughs> no, nothing would do but that she should sit down and eat our Christmas dinner with us. Charity, dear. You gave her my seat. She looked footsore, dear. Remember the less fortunate. She came over here with us. Oi! What's it to you? And where are we? I was just splinting Tiny Tim's head together again. It shatters something awful if the wind takes him just right. It really does. When these bobbies bowl us into the Black Mariah and gallop us off to this place where I've never seen before. Well, I must admit, Mr. Scrooge, I'm at something of a loss myself. I'll quench your thirst for answers, Bob. The goose and the girl were from me! Mr. Scrooge, sir, thank you! Thank you from the bottom of my heart. My entire family is in your debt. Why, we feasted like kings and queens of old! I'm allergic to goose. And to be given the opportunity to provide a meal for this poor, unfortunate woman. We are truly blessed. She talked to me about things I've no business knowing at my age. It frightened and confused and me. And then to bring us out on a fine winter drive to this lovely house. It's cold and wet out and I have tuberculosis. My lungs feel as though a thousand red-hot daggers were piercing them. Yes, Bob, yes. For far too long I've taken you for granted. That ends now. Come in bright and early tomorrow and we shall discuss your future at the firm. A future that shall start with a raise. A raise, sir? Indeed. But enough talk of money. Let us make merry, games, dancing! I'm a cripple! Music! Oh, how I wish we could indulge you there, Uncle. But though we own a piano, I am afraid neither my wife nor I are very musical. Not to worry, my boy, for I've reached out to another old acquaintance, my old workmate Daniel Quilp. He's a good-hearted, merry soul. I'm a hunchy little villain and a monster. Wonderful! Then let us repair to the drawing room for an evening of cheer and good fellowship. And so the little group did just that. They felt at home in five minutes. A wonderful party with wonderful games, wonderful fellowship, wonderful unanimity. And now, Daniel, favour us with a song. <laughs> you know... Uncle, it, uh, it has been six hours. There's no need to overtax yourself on our account. Absolutely. You don't want to get overtired. Heavens, no. Nonsense! I am simply bursting with Christmas cheer! Come, Quilp, a song! All right, then. I call this one Sex with a Minor. <gasps> oh, my! You monster, sir! Yes, Sex with a Coal Miner from Yorkshire. A strapping gent with rough hands. Just the way I likes it. <sighs> That's a nice thing. That's comparatively better. I like rough hands too. Sounds wonderful, Quilp, old fellow, but let's sing Joy to the World instead. Feck off. 
very well then. While Quilp is otherwise occupied, we shall play some Christmas games. Like the poor steal my silverware? I will gut you with this serving knife, Miss Pris. I have it! Charades! Uncle, it really wouldn't do uh, at your age to overexert yourself. I said charades! Righto! Tiny Tim, you go first, lad. I'm not feeling so well. Christmas cheer, dammit! You go first, to the front of the room with you. Fine. Good. Now begin. Oh, what's that gesture you're making? Ah, but this is grand. I'll guess correctly, Tim. I'll warrant it. Ah, you're a cripple. <gasps> How dare you, sir? Sorry. And so the group played charades, which is a terrible game to try and convey through radio. That's not in my script. I just wanted you to know we're well aware of the problem. Two words. Sounds like... Uh, oh, oh, this is a challenging one. You're a rhinoceros. You're an unwelcome member of the lower class. You're William Gladstone. I'm not feeling so well. You're a sinister Chinaman. I really think I should sit down. Next word sounds like, I can't breathe. I really can't breathe, dammit. You're a, 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 a choking person. Autoerotic asphyxia? I'm not playing the game anymore. These are legitimate gestures of distress. You're pounding your chest. You're a door knocker! I'm trying to restart my heart. Why can't you people understand? I have literally every disease. I need to sit down. Oh, oh, you're a drain on the economy. You're a Chinaman. You've already guessed that, Uncle. Insensitively, too, I might add. Oh, so I have. You're a tartar. I'm dying, for the love of God. Please send for a doctor. You're a deceitful <coughs> Irishman. <coughs> Please! You're a filthy Hohenzollern Cimmerindian! <coughs> God damn you! Everyone! You're a dead child! Bob, I believe you've got it! Hurrah! Well, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it was, that was a tough one. That was really hard, but I think I got it in the end. <laughs> thank you. Um, where's that prostitute? Ah, oh, Bob, Fred, Mrs. Cratchit, prostitute, strangely silent Tim, my friends all. For too long, I have shielded my heart from warmth and the bonds of affection. For too long, I have kept Christmas at a cold, watchful distance. But I am a changed man. From this day forward, I shall love my fellow man and keep Christmas in my heart all the year round. You are all my family, my people, and I have learned in the depths of my heart that Christmas is made of people! Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. He doubled, then quadrupled production at the soil at Scrooge Slowy Plant, feeding millions of people with millions of other people. And as for Tiny Tim, he died of simultaneous heart, lung and liver failure on Fred's drawing room rug. 
But his death was not in vain, for he inspired Scrooge to start using the terminally ill to spice his slurry, and sales rose ever upward when it was discovered that consumptive children tasted of curried lamb. And old Scrooge became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the old city knew. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge, and that he knew how to deal with overpopulation better than any man alive as well. May that truly be said of us, and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. That's not what he said. Yes, it is. This radio play was written by Greg Talley and Ryan Smith, based upon the collected works of Charles Dickens and the short story Soylent Scrooge by Greg Talley. Dramatization produced and directed by Ryan Smith and Greg Talley. Your IBS radio announcers were Trace Bellew, Frank Conniff, and Carolina Hidalgo. This program was narrated by Haley Tolley, starring Troy Schultz as Ebenezer Scrooge, Ron McAdams as Jacob Marley, Rebecca Heron as the Ghost of Christmas Past, Greg Talley as the Ghost of Christmas Present, Zach Thompson as the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come, Jackie Naaman Jones as Mrs. Cratchit, Brian Smith as Tiny Tim, Tim Blaney as Fezziwig, Kate Page as Fan, Zoe Plate as Belle Trent, Kit Devlin as Fred, Jamie Flowers Ashley as Fred's wife, Natalie Ryan as Daniel Quilp, and Grant Bochoco as Borb Cratchit. Additional vocal performances by Eric Kosky, Rob Maynard, Ron McAdams, Ian Morrison, Kate Page, Erica Rodriguez-Hilton, James Rowling, Natalie Ryan, Ryan Smith and Greg Talley. Music supervision by Greg Talley, edited by Ryan Smith. Vintage commercials directed by Ron McAdams. Commercials written and performed by Ron McAdams, James Rowling, Natalie Ryan, Eric Kosky, Rob Maynard, Philip Stevens, Erica Rodriguez-Hilton, Dina Dolphin, and Ryan Smith. The song Sex with a Mermaid was written by Greg Talley. The songs Sex with a Mince Pie and Sex with a Badger were written by Natalie Ryan. Radio play text copyright 2017 by Ryan Smith and Greg Talley. Commercial text copyright 2017 by Ron McAdams, James Rowling, Natalie Ryan, Eric Kosky, Rob Maynard, Erica Rodriguez-Hilton, Greg Talley, and Ryan Smith. Production copyright 2017 by Jefferson Hospitality, LLP. <laughs> this audio program is satire. The opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the writers, performers, or sponsor. But if you don't understand satire, there is no hope for you, and you probably shouldn't be consuming fiction of any kind. All rights reserved, lovey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Gets me tingly in me manly bits. Come, come, Mr. Quilp. Enough with the jackanapes. It's Christmas time. Sing us one of your old favorites. 
very well. I call this one <laughs> Sex with a Mermaid. I sailed across the ocean, I sailed across the sea, I sailed till I found a mermaid who meant so much to me. Her hair flowed like seaweed, her breath smelled like clams, her boobs covered in starfish, perfect cup in the form of me hands. That selfie had a tail like a whale now, cursing lacking in lady bits. We tried to mash them together and gave her to fish and chips. Oh, mermaid on man sex is the best there is if you're not too picky to choose. Cause after nine months at sea, what the hell have you got to lose? Don't forget to tip your waitress and try to grog. Ha <laughs> ha, Daniel! That was wonderful! Give me another! I can take another, please! Alright, I call this one Sex with a Mince Pie. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Razors and mints, mate, razors and mints, mints makes and butter too. Nothing makes me as randy as a mince pie's bubbly goo. Raisins and mincemeat, raisins and mincemeat, I'll eat them when we're done. But for now, my darling, mince pie will have carnal fun. Raisins and mincemeat, raisins and mincemeat, I burn my manly farts. But I couldn't help it, the mince pie stole my pervy heart. Hey! I'll be here all week. Oh, yes, one more, one more for the night. I call this next one sex with a badger. A one, a two. One, two, three, four. Her eyes were proud and limpid, and she gazed right into mine. Her snout so soft and inviting, and her fur it had such shine. Well, when the badger came a calling on a fair day in early spring. I just had to have sex with that badger And I shan't regret a thing You know, Daniel, now that I've finally listened to some of your lyrics I do find you to be a bit of a pervert Merry Christmas! Christmas? Is you a vampire? I'll stake you through the heart and murder you, you horse and dog Oh, Daniel! Your wit is unparalleled. Die, vampire, die! <laughs> Merry Craigmas. Yay!